the president has been diagnosed with COVID. What if, what if he becomes incapacitated while serving as president or and while serving as the Republican candidate for president? The Constitution deals with the first, 25th Amendment. If he's incapacitated as president, we know what happens. There is no constitutional provision dealing with what happens with a candidate. When a candidate becomes incapacitated, you'll hear what the law is and what the rules are on the Dirt Show. We all wish the president a full and quick recovery from his recent diagnosis with COVID and that of his wife, but we have to be prepared for every possible eventuality. And I'm here to tell you on the Dirt Show this morning that the Constitution does not provide all the answers. This is a potential event not covered by the United States Constitution. The president is now serving in two capacities, one of which is covered by the Constitution. He is the president of the United States and will serve as president of the United States until January 20th, unless he were to become incapacitated. If that were to occur, then his presidential duties would be completely covered by the very definitive 25th Amendment, which was enacted only in recent decades to cover precisely a situation like this if it occurred in the middle of a president's term. If a president becomes incapacitated, and we have to go through all the God forbid scenarios here to see what the potential outcomes are, if the president, for example, were to become seriously ill with COVID and have to go uh, into a respirator, which requires that he be unconscious, he would be incapacitated for that period of time, and the 25th Amendment would kick in. We have a dear and close friend uh, of our family uh, who was a young man in his 40s who had to go on a respirator for 28 days, and he was in a coma for 28 days, thankfully. He fully recovered and is back doing the important work that he does. But during the days that a president would be in a respirator, the 25th Amendment would kick in. But the 25th Amendment is very thorough. It covers just about every eventuality where it really presents some problematic issues. If the president is conscious and says, I'm perfectly capable of governing, and the vice president and members of the cabinet say, no, you're not. You may think you're capable of governing, but we know better, you're not capable of governing, then the most controversial aspects of the 25th Amendment kick in. You have to have votes of the uh, cabinet, and then it might go to the uh, Congress. Uh, we're not anticipating that occurring. So that's one issue. What happens to the president of the United States were he to become incapacitated? The Constitution deals with that. But now we come to the really serious problem that is not dealt with in the Constitution. What if the candidate for president of the United States, who happens to be the president, but what if the candidate for president of the United States becomes incapacitated or, God forbid, were to die? There is nothing, zero, in the Constitution dealing with that. There is nothing in federal law dealing with that, and for a very good reason. The election of a president of the United States is really an election in 50 states. Under the 12th Amendment to the Constitution and the body of the Constitution itself, election of president of the United States is done by electors elected in every state. 
and then coming to Washington in December and casting their votes for president. And whoever wins a majority of the electors becomes the president. But because these are state-by-state elections, they are governed by state law, not federal law, not the Constitution. So the Constitution provides no, quote, 25th Amendment for an incapacitated candidate for president. This issue is deeply compounded by the fact that we're having an enormous number of people vote by mail. Some of them have already voted. They've already cast their vote for candidate Trump or candidate Biden. But what if there is no candidate Trump? What happens to those votes? Are they automatically cast for the vice presidential candidate? The answer to that is no, unless state law specifically provides for that. Under the 12th Amendment to the Constitution, the electors vote distinctly for a president and for a vice president. Those of you who saw Hamilton remember what happened and what caused the 12th Amendment. Back in 1800, uh, President uh, Jefferson, candidate Jefferson, uh, was running with vice presidential candidate Aaron Burr. But prior to the 12th Amendment, the voters and the electors cast ballots separately for president and vice president. The one who got the most was the president. The one who got second most was vice president. The same people who voted for Jefferson voted for Burr. And so Jefferson and Burr got exactly the same number of votes. It was expected that Burr would defer to Jefferson because that was the deal. But Burr was not a principled person, as we later learned. Uh, And uh, what happened is Burr insisted on all the electors voting for him. And so we had a tie vote. And it went to the House of Representatives and it was debated over and over again for many weeks and ultimately... Hamilton persuaded uh, his Federalist colleagues to vote for a person whose principles he opposed, Jefferson, rather than for a person who had no principles, Burr, and Jefferson became the president of the United States. Shortly thereafter, we passed the 12th Amendment. Under the 12th Amendment, separate votes are cast for president and for vice president. So we could conceivably, conceivably, unlikely, but we have to consider every conceivable possibility. We could conceivably have a three-way vote in the Electoral College based on differences in state law. So we may get some electors voting for Biden, some electors voting for Trump, and some electors voting for Pence for president because under their state law, a vote for a president who's incapacitated or has withdrawn from the election or has died automatically goes to the president. What happens if we have a three-way division? Well, if there's no majority in favor of one candidate, the election then goes to the House of Representatives, where surprisingly, shockingly to many, and uh, remarkably, Uh, Every state gets to cast one vote. In other words, Texas and California have exactly the same number of votes as Wyoming and uh, Rhode Island. They each get one vote. And at least today, there are more House delegations, I'm told, controlled by Republicans than Democrats. And so the Republicans might very well get their candidate 
elected in the House of Representatives. The Constitution says the House must pick from the top three candidates. So if you had Biden, Trump, and Pence, the House could pick Pence to be the president of the United States. A very unlikely scenario, but one that is possible and has to be considered. Obviously, after what happened now, we will probably get another constitutional amendment. There will probably be an amendment that provides federally, nationally, to replace candidates for president who become incapacitated between the time of the convention when they're nominated and the time where election is held on November 3rd or whatever day the election is, and then the election is held in the Electoral College in December. But we don't have any such national law today, and we do not have any national or constitutional rule. Remember, too, that state laws, even though the Constitution allocates to the states the authority to determine how to pick electors, state laws are not without some degree of review by the United States Supreme Court. Bush versus Gore was an example of that. Bush versus Gore was decided based on Florida state rules regarding recount. But the United States Supreme Court found that the Florida state rules permitting a recount were unconstitutional under the federal constitution's equal protection clause. A very stretched and, in my view, erroneous decision. I wrote a whole book about it called Supreme Injustice, where I railed against the five majority Republican justices who invented a new equal protection clause uh, that had never before been applied to voting chads and all that kind of thing. But, hey, that was the law, decided five to four. The Supreme Court went out of its way to say Bush versus Gore was not to serve as precedent. This was a one-off, just this case, this day, like a limited train ticket, this day and this time only. But that's not going to be followed. Uh, obviously, the Supreme Court might well intervene if there were a contested election based on disagreements over state law as to what happens if a president becomes disabled. Look, we all hope, whether we're Republicans or Democrats, whether we're going to vote for Biden or Trump, we all hope that the president recovers quickly, that his wife recovers quickly, that he can get back to the business of campaigning, and that we have a fair vote uh, for who is president of the United States, and that one candidate secures a clear victory that does not require recourse to the courts and certainly does not require recourse to the streets. But I have to tell you, I think the likelihood of that happening has diminished at least a few percentage points uh, since the president announced that he has been diagnosed with COVID. So we have to think hard about every possible eventuality that could occur. We have to plan for every eventuality Lawyers have to be ready to go to court and challenge decisions that are made. And this will be 50 state courts, not one federal court. And it will be a mess. It will be a mess because our laws and our Constitution don't provide for an incapacitated candidate for president. And again, I remind you, most people don't realize this. The election of a president of the United States is 50 state elections determined by 50 different state procedures, 50 different ways of dealing with a potentially incapacitated candidate, 50 different ways of dealing with mail-in ballots, 
if ballots have already been printed, if ballots have already been sent out, if votes have already been cast. In some states, the votes will be not counted and ballots will be resent quickly with the new candidate's name and people will have a chance to re-vote. In other states, no, the vote for vice president will be transferred to the vote for president. That would be permissible under state law. It's not permissible once the electors get together under the 12th Amendment to the Constitution. So if I were teaching back at Harvard Law School and this happened, I would immediately convene a seminar of my best and brightest students, and we'd spend the next uh, couple of weeks sorting through all the constitutional, legal, federal, state issues. This is a seminar on what the law should do, what the law does, in the event that you don't have clear guidance from the Constitution from federal law and where state laws differ. It could be a mess. It's testing our Constitution. Our Constitution, our legal system, the rule of law has survived every test up to now. Well, not every test. The Civil War had to intervene to resolve tests that grew out of Dred Scott and ultimately resulted in the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, which were basically the peace treaty following the Civil War. So we need war once at least to resolve constitutional crises. We all hope we won't need it again. We all hope that this can be resolved within the rule of law. I think, again, everybody hopes that these eventualities don't come about, that the president will quickly uh, recover, that uh, he will be able to continue his campaign, and that Americans will get the right to vote and determine who the president of the United States will be on January 20th. My fondest hope is that on January 20th, one candidate stands up, takes his oath of office in front of the chief justice and the American people, whoever you voted for, accept that president and say, he is the president of all the people. We accept him. Transition is going to be peaceful as it has been for the last 200 and so many years. That's the goal. That's the hope. But we have to prepare for worst-case scenarios. And the situation just got a lot more dangerous uh, with the diagnosis of the president. Let's hope for a peaceful and good outcome, but let's prepare for every possible eventuality. This is Alan Dershowitz on The Dershow. Show. I told you you'd never be bored, not only not be bored by me, but not be bored by the world we live in. Who could have anticipated this? If somebody were to write a novel about a presidential election and were to have the president diagnosed with COVID and have all the events surrounding COVID and the racial riots and uh, the economy and all of that, everybody would say a bridge too far. No, no, you can't write fiction that so far goes beyond what is realistic. Now we see reality going beyond fiction. So we can hope for a great outcome. I will keep you up to date every day on The Der Show as to developments, legal, constitutional, medical, and in every other way. So keep staying tuned to The Der Show. I'm sure many of our listeners have questions about what will happen in the event of an incapacitated president. Let's turn first to Christopher. Hello, Mr. Dershowitz. My name is Christopher. I'm calling from Burlington, Vermont. I'm curious on your take on Mr. Trump has just tested positive for COVID-19. What impacts do you feel this will have upon the upcoming debates or even the, uh, the date of the election? Look forward to listening to your answers. Thank you, sir. Have a great day. 
Great question. Thank you. It will have no impact on the date of the election. The election will and must take place on November 3rd. Uh, we know that that's election day, but at least in some states, the ballots won't be counted because they can only be open if they're mail ballots starting on November 3rd. So we will probably have delays in full reporting. We may still know on the night of November 3rd who won the election if there's an overwhelming victory. Um, in terms of other issues uh, about uh, debates, um, it depends. It depends on the president's health. Um, if the president doesn't want to have another debate, obviously, if he is not up to it physically, uh, the American public would probably understand. If there is to be a debate, it would probably be held virtually. I don't think Vice President Biden wants to be in the same room with somebody who's been uh, diagnosed positive with COVID. So I suspect he'd be in a different room, but we have the technology to make that happen. Judy from New York, what's your point? I would like to know, if the president doesn't survive COVID, what happens to all of his votes? Can the Republicans scramble to find another candidate? Can the election be delayed? Thank you for taking my question. Another great question. The election cannot be delayed, but the Republicans could scramble and find another candidate. Again, that would depend state by state, but there'd be nothing prohibiting the Republicans from saying, look, uh, Pence is a nice guy. He's the vice president, but he's not our strongest candidate. Uh, maybe it would be better if Mike Pompeo or uh, uh, somebody else uh, were to take over and run for president. Nikki Haley's name has been mentioned. Um, it would depend. Every state would have a different procedure for changing the ballot and allowing yet a third person, not the president, not the vice president's name to appear on the ballot. Again, state by state, we have no national provision for how to handle the 50 state elections that constitute the presidential election. So in sum, we need to change the Constitution. We need to recognize that election of president is a national matter. It should be governed largely by federal law. This will require significant revisions in our Constitution. It will raise the issue of whether the Electoral College will be changed, which won't happen because the Republican Party would be very much opposed to it. They have won two elections through the Electoral College uh, against the popular vote. So we're not going to see those kind of fundamental changes, but we may see changes in the nominating process for what happens if a nominee becomes disabled after the convention nominates him. Uh, stay tuned. You'll hear all about this every day on The Der Show. And again, you know, you're never going to be bored. Remember, we'll take your calls 24-7, anytime, day or night. Make your call and I will respond on The Der Show. Call or listen to line at 216-710-0050. I want to hear your questions, your comments, your criticisms, and your opinions. Remember, all calls are recorded and we reserve the right to use your questions and comments on the air. Once again, the listener line is 216-710-0050. I look forward to hearing from you. The Durst Show is available on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts.